0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Never, never do. Oh. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Well, what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down, and I say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> and how are you doing, everybody? This is Jim McCarron's with another edition of The Good, The Bad, and The TV on the number one podcast network for professionals. We are the Believe Podcast Network. Let's believe in the good, the bad, and the TV. The year is 2020. Perhaps the strangest year on record for everyone in the world living through it. For everyone in the world lucky enough to be living through it. If the term COVID-19 is the bold print headline of the year, the patient known as 2020 does present with other news as well. However much it recedes come a mid-March showdown in the world. Wildfires devastate the whole of Australia. Basketball icon Kobe Bryant is killed in a helicopter crash. Donald Trump is impeached, tried, and acquitted against the backdrop of another, an endless presidential primary season. Producer Harvey Weinstein is sent to jail. The Dow is sent plummeting. And as the United Kingdom withdraws from the European Union, so too do Prince Harry and wife Meghan Markle from the United Kingdom all of it plays out on TV, a medium that as of this year no longer includes Fred Silverman, one of its most powerful and influential figures ever. He dies on January 30th. In the 2015 book Real People and the Rise of Reality Television, author Michael McKenna includes this fact about TV executive Fred Silverman from when he was at the height of his power in the 1970s. Quote: As a measure of Fred Silverman's status and influence, on the day in January of 1978, when his defection from ABC to NBC was announced, the Wall Street stock price of ABC dropped $1.75 a share, while stock in the parent company of NBC, the Radio Corporation of America, or RCA, jumped $1.25. End quote. Fred Silverman, a TV fan who becomes a TV executive, a TV executive who becomes a TV star, leaves behind an imprint that few media brass make certainly few of his time, known to have fully changed the business he works in, and for a time, a business he all but owns. Born in 1937, Fred Silverman is raised in New York and raised on TV. By the time he's in college, he's fully consumed. His Ohio State master's thesis is a study of 10 years' worth of ABC programming. He parlays the thesis into a TV job, which kicks off his TV career. Ultimately, it leads to the doors of CBS in New York in the network's daytime programming department. At CBS, Silverman digs in, demonstrates his knack for and connections to all things television, and eventually he makes his way up to head of all programming, just as the old-fashioned 1960s are yielding to the new age 1970s. The TV business is changing. He re-engineers a reframing of the network to address that, credit it with or blamed for, depending on the point of view, CBS's infamous Rural Purge in 1971, by which many of its most popular long-running series are canceled in one fell swoop to make room for younger skewing and more topical shows like All in the Family, The Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour, Maud, and MASH. Silverman shakes up CBS like it's his personal snow globe, but it works. The network manages an important image turnaround at the start of a critical decade, while still holding on to its title as the country's most-watched network. CBS is awash in headline-getting, younger-skewing TV hit shows, hit after hit, Emmy Award after Emmy Award. He demonstrates an uncanny affinity for both TV the business and TV the experience, to the manner born. And he himself attracts as much attention as the shows he programs, the stars he promotes, the network he fronts. In 1975, the now superstar Fred Silverman is recruited by competitor ABC. The bet, the hope, is that he can work similar magic there for a network suffering through a deeply fallow period. The network has just a handful of popular shows. ABC's most recent all new season saw 15 of 18 new shows fail. And magic is what happens within a year ABC is now on top as the country's most-watched TV network, ending CBS's 20-year reign. Acumen, luck, timing, ideas, characters, it all comes together. If the first half of the 1970s are marked by socially relevant, often challenging adult-skewing programs, a lot of it due to Silverman's influence, the second half of the decade reflects Silverman's goal simply to offer viewers a slick and shiny good time. They're rewarded just for showing up to the party with fun, lighthearted adventure and broad, near cartoonish comedy. TV TV that in most cases the family can watch together. Packed, sold, broadcast with an exclamation point. Silverman converts struggling young single camera comedy Happy Days from a low-key family sitcom into a multi-camera live audience show that now focuses on the former fourth lead, Arthur Fonzarelli. With Fonzie as as its center, and the recalibrated show opening up around him, Happy Days becomes TV's top-rated series. The aging, if not dying, TV variety series format is likewise reimagined, from an old person, vaudeville-informed song and dance show, to an eye-catching comedy and music showcase for teenaged brother and sister stars. The Donnie and Marie Show becomes a successful Friday Night Staple. Mass appeal, down-the-middle, sometimes pre-sold, often high-concept series. They're ordered up, too, like Charlie's Angels, What's Happening, 8 is Enough, Three's Company, Welcome Back, Cotter, and the Hardy Boys' Nancy Drew Mysteries. New formulas are explored for other aging genres. The earnest family drama comes of age with family. The sitcom grows up with soap. It's rethought as a one-hour anthology with The Love Boat. Silverman also taps what he does at CBS, which is the equity of established shows to launch spinoff, like Laverne and Shirley from Happy Days, like The Bionic Woman from The Six Million Dollar Man, like Fish from Barney Miller, like Mr. T and Tina from Welcome Back Cotter. Lots and lots of TV movies are offered too, many showcasing the network's own top stars or introducing some of its newer ones. This is crowned by both Rich Man Poor Man and the seminal groundbreaking Roots, both of which innovate as long-form miniseries. Not to mention what becomes one of Silverman's better calling cards, Battle of the Network Stars. As obvious a ploy for tune-in as can be imagined, with wardrobe that leaves little that requires it. The outdoor sun and fun primetime wet t-shirt contest becomes a bit of battle of the network standards. Audiences lap it up. If Silverman's errors are many, and sometimes embarrassing, looking at you Brady Bunch variety hour, his hits are grand slams. One Charlie's Angels can atone for a dozen Holmes and Yo-Yos. And in between, there's just a ton of fun to be had in the ABC ballpark. Under Silverman's watch, the network creates fun and musty events out of single airings of hot shows. It's the Laverne and Shirley first birthday show. It's the Laverne and Shirley second birthday show. And on some nights, it assembles three-hour blocks of programming that render remote controls pointless. Hell, even the unseen voice serving as ABC's on-air announcer is having a great time. He's glad to be alive. Number one, ABC is the only place to be in 1975 and 1976, and 1977. That Silverman comes from a number one network to make this network number one too only reinforces his celebrity. In September of 1977, Fred Silverman appears on the cover of Time Magazine, dubbed TV's Master Showman. Come 1978, NBC wants its shot. Fred Silverman is lured yet again to defect from the head of a winning network to take over a struggling one. Third network to head, in just four years, and there's only three networks anyway. That doesn't seem all that LinkedIn promising, but it works out for him. NBC recruits him in the middle of a disastrous season that starts with the trouble-plagued and short-lived Richard Pryor show, and with the pitiful attempt to salvage scraps from the just-ended Sanford and Son comedy with a spinoff called Sanford Arms, which features neither Sanford nor Son, just their furniture. Altogether, NBC has just one top 10 show, and Little House on the Prairie isn't exactly something for a network sales division to crow about. Silverman shows up in time to inherit, yet have little influence on NBC's planned fall 1978 schedule. Wobbly looking enough on paper to suggest that the network's fortunes won't be changing anytime soon. It offers little to answer any sort of viewer mandate, little that reworks a familiar genre, little that offers a compelling storyline, little that boasts a single well-known TV name unless you count Joan Namath, which no one does. Not surprisingly, every single one of the new series that NBC introduces in September 1978 is gone by Christmas, after which Silverman's magic touch can be more heavily applied. But as the decade's end looms, Fred Silverman finds himself facing an industry markedly different from the playground he knows it to be just nine years ago. The country's social evolution has given way to a TV primetime revolution, thanks in part, ironically, to some of his work at CBS. TV viewers seem to be expecting more these days. In 1979, it's less easy just to shock or to stupid your way into a hit. More specific to his job at NBC, Silverman is now competing against himself twice every night, trying to take on or take down networks that are made nearly impenetrable by his own efforts. He's forced to play defense for the first time, imitation instead of innovation. He orders up a slew of less thans for NBC that range from nosebleed high concept to distinctly uncommercial. Some of which are okay, okay enough anyway, but none of which is good enough or even interesting enough to warrant checking out first thing when the TV comes on at night. Third place is still third choice, and sometimes no choice at all. Of 24 new series that NBC introduces between the spring of 1978 when Silverman arrives and the spring of 1979, just four make it for a second season. One notable failure called Supertrain, the executives attempt to carve a slice out of ABC's meteoric love boat success. Supertrain is a romance anthology as well, set aboard a mode of transportation. Well, it earns a place in the caboose of TV history, left off the air. Now in fairness to Silverman, two of the 24 that do survive, different strokes, and real people, thrive, as does, to a lesser extent, a mediocre entry called Hello Larry. But unlike previous hits at previous jobs, at previous networks, where critics applauded, each of these is maligned, seen as benchmarks for bad TV. Silverman himself is maligned. His celebrity status is weakened with each new failure. His credibility assailed. Fred Silverman's in the crosshairs. In a lacerating sketch that appears on Saturday Night Live in February of 1979, guest host Kate Jackson appears in a parody of her hit ABC detective show, Charlie's Angels, that targets Saturday Night Live's de facto boss, network head Silverman, who, of course, put Angels on the air back in 1976. In the sketch, Charlie's three Angels, including Jackson as her Sabrina Duncan character, are seen at a new case briefing in their Townsend Detective Agency offices. It reveals that Fred Silverman is still secretly working for ABC, having been planted at NBC to sabotage it with horrible shows, says SNL player Jane Curtin as fellow angel Chris Monroe. That explains Hello, Larry. Over the coming two years, 28 more new shows come and go at NBC. A pair worthy of note. Different strokes spin off The Facts of Life, which ends up running eight years. Not bad and a drama pilot Silverman puts into development for which he ends up getting very little credit when it comes to the air and then takes off. It's a TV game changer called Hill Street Blues. By 1981, NBC ends its relationship with Fred Silverman, as does Silverman with broadcast network management. Not the door any left to manage. If he doesn't exactly change NBC's fortunes by time he leaves, in the same way he changes those of CBS and ABC, Fred Silverman does nonetheless continue to change TV through his NBC reign. Five important things come of it. The series Real People and Lifeline, which marked the starts of the modern-day reality or non-scripted show. Centennial and Shogun, sweeping epic miniseries that set standards in long-forward programming. And again, Hill Street Blues, which reinvents the one-hour drama and sets the stage for many dramas to come though its success comes under his successor's reign. A man seemingly never undone, Fred Silverman goes on to two more decades of success as a respected producer of old-fashioned, down-the-middle, mainstream TV crime dramas that everyone loves and no one watches, like Matlock, Jake and the Fat Man, In the Heat of the Night, Perry Mason, The Father Dowling Mysteries, and Diagnosis Murder, each a hit, retro before retro was a thing, Fun fact At one point in the 1990s, producer Fred Silverman has a series on each of the three broadcast networks that he once runs at the same time. A media executive celebrity at a time when few are to be found, Fred Silverman is a leader whom many latter day TV executives grow up reading about and being influenced by, an icon to emulate, teased by the tales of his success to enter the ranks and spin out some of their own, affirmed with the evidence that being a TV geek can pay off. Of course, a handful of those tales recount Silverman's reputation as a hot-tempered, stomping up and down, yelling, bully of a boss. So some don't genuflect as easily, if at all, at the mention of his name. At the end of the day, even in changed TV days, Fred Silverman is a legend to be remembered, an executive who makes liking TV okay, who ran all three of the country's TV networks in a 10-year span who is associated with the best of TV during its most important decade, who defines the 1970s small-screen revolution. As further observed in the New York Times piece that announced his January 1978 hire at NBC, this was written, quote, At the age of 40, with more than 15 years in the industry behind him, Fred Silverman no longer qualifies as television's wunderkind. Instead, With the announcement that he is leaving ABC to become the top executive at NBC, the former CBS vice president has become television's man for all networks. Praised for achieving high ratings, damned for pandering to low tastes, lauded as an innovator, belittled as a caretaker, deified as a programming strategist, but downgraded as a corporate politician, the heavyset, rumpled, but still boyish-looking Mr. Silverman possesses the capacity to unite fans and critics alike on one point his love for television you gotta believe hey send us some questions and feedback and suggestions on twitter at believe podcasts or at believe.com that's also where you can get some information on advertising on any believe show this one included find and download the good the bad and the tv on apple where you can subscribe and rate us on spotify where you can follow us or just plain listen for a new drop each Thursday on these sites or Stitcher or Luminary or TuneIn or Google Play. Be sure to like the show if you like it. All over your social media. I appreciate that. I'm Jim McCarns. We'll talk again.